what? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you. Say what one more time? <laughs> what? RadioWhat.com What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live and in a living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, What Makes You Famous. It's an extension of the RadioWhat.com internet radio station that I've been running for quite some time. And if you need DJ services, where do I tell you to go? DJLittleRock.com. Check availability and get a free price quote, and maybe you can have me at your next event. Wedding season is here. I have booking so many weddings, and I'm so excited to be playing for you. Yeah, you. Uh, today on the program, I have DaFaro69. That's D-A Pharaoh, as in, you know, the kings of Egypt, and 69. He is, well... He is the king of erotica. You get to hear a little bit about him in your ears in the next few minutes. Kind of excited to talk to him. Uh, This week's shows, let's see, on Thursday, I'll be at the Old Post Barbecue in Russellville, Arkansas. That's the family-friendly show uh, from 6 until 9, video dance party, karaoke jam. They got great barbecue and and frosty beverages for the adults, but you know I keep the music family-friendly, so it's a great after-school treat, a great after-work treat. Start the weekend early, Thursday night at the Old Post Barbecue in Russellville, Arkansas from 6 to 9. And then on Friday nights, yeah, my usual Friday night gig, I'll be hanging out at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas. It, this time, it's, it is an over 21 uh, show. It's the adults only, so leave the kids at home. They got the full bar. Kitchen is open. Pool tables. They got a pool tournament on uh, Saturday on Friday nights. So uh, if you want to make some money, I encourage you to check out that pool tournament. And then they have shuffleboard, foosball, darts, Jenga, uh, checkers. There's always something to do while you're hanging out and waiting to sing on stage. The video dance party, karaoke jam with yours truly at the Rab, Conway, Arkansas. We go from 8 p.m. until almost 2 in the am. So be there. It's always a good time at the Rab. And then on Saturday night, it is leap year, February 29th. Kind of excited. I'm going to head down to Hot Springs, Arkansas, a brand new place. I've never been there before. It's called Trejos on the Lake. It's a Mexican restaurant right on the lake in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Historic Hot Springs, Arkansas. That town is uh, is pumping now. They got the horse races going on. So you know there's lots and lots of people in that town. And uh, a lot of them are going to be hanging out with us over at Trejos on the lake. So that's going to be from 7 until 11 in the p.m. Video dance party, karaoke jam. I'll keep it family friendly until the kids leave. I think they... At some point, they kick the kids out, and and maybe we'll spice it up a little bit afterwards. But until then, yeah, I'll keep keep the show family friendly. They got some some good uh, Mexican food, as far as I understand. They got the full bar over there. So uh, let's have a good time at Trejo's on the lake Saturday night. Speaking of good time, it's time to give a talk to DeFerro69. Let's go ahead and give a call to DeFerro69 now.
Hello. Hi, Larry Wilson Jr., please. This is Larry Wilson Jr. Also known as DeFaro69. Hey, yes, that's me. Hey, this is Keys Dan with the What Makes You Famous podcast. How you holding hey, up? How you doing? Thanks for asking. I'm holding up great. Oh, how about so- yourself? Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for that for quite some time i i figure you're going to be a very interesting person just judging by your your biography and all the things that i've looked up online about you are, are you the king of erotica yes i am unfortunately <laughs> not unfortunately that is a great I say title unfortunately because that's not all that i am it's just one part of me because when i write when I, as an author, when I write, I write as three people. I write as Larry Wilson, the guy you're speaking to right now. Mm-hmm. I write as the Pharaoh 69, the slang for the Pharaoh's king of Egypt. 69 is my zodiac sign, cancer, yin yang, 69, yes. the crab. So together is the Pharaoh 69. That's how I came up with that name. It's symbolic for me. So when I write Larry Wilson, the normal guy that tells the stories, the Pharaoh 69, the, the, the author inside the regular guy you're talking to that puts the stories together like a puzzle. And then you have the king of erotica. He just don't give a damn. He's blood raw. He's going to tell it like it is. He's going to write blood raw books. It's not commercialized. It's not watered down. If you want Danielle Steele, I am not the one. That's the moral story. <laughs> well, I know you come from Miami. Uh, you know, I'm from Miami as well. Uh, Keys Dan comes from the Florida Keys. That's, that's you know, born and raised in Miami, South Florida. The Florida uh, let me Keys. let me stop you right. Let me stop you right there, not to be rude, but I was not born in okay. the county of Dade. I was actually born. My mother was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. Just a little short biography without being bewinded. No, please. Um, we got plenty of so, time. My grandma was full-blooded Nassau. My great-grandma full-blooded Nassau, so I'm Bahamian. I just wasn't born there. I was born in the States because they migrated to Miami. My mom was migrated to Miami with my grandma. She moved here when she met my granddad. He was in the Air Force 30 years. Long story short, when my mom was 15, my grandma passed away, so I never got to meet her. She died two years before I was born. So when she passed away... My mom was in Miami living with her mother. My grandfather, her father, was stationed in California at the time. So naturally, the father sent for the daughter, and that's how my mom wound up in California and meet my dad, and the rest is history. Okay. And then when I, turn, when I turned 14 months old, she left him because it was rumored, you know, he was trying to be in the blood gang life around the time it was originating, back in the, in the early 70s and even before that. So she left him. And I never seen him again up until the day he passed away. Oh, my So I'm, I was born in California um, at Cedarside in the hospital, but I was raised in Miami, Florida at a place called Goose. It's one of the sub cities. I know it very well. I know it very well. Tough streets, though. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. that some of that play, uh, some of it is, is pretty hard <laughs> to live in. I mean, so the, the thing that you know about growing up, did you know any of California? No, I actually had no memories of California. And right as we speak, I'm literally like looking at a picture of my mom holding me in California when she was um, 19 years old or 18. I think I was one. And it has California in a house in San Bernardino where my my, my dad family settled because they'd never been to Miami. Right. Um, and I'm looking at a picture and it's like a full circle moment because I see me, I see her holding me, but I have no memory of that day. Cause I guess I was too young. 
Oh, if for that makes sure. sense. Oh, for sure. I mean, so I have memories of California yeah. around me in photograph form, but yes. I have like no memory of it. Okay. But my mother was over here the other day, and she looked at it. She took the picture. It's on top of my one picture, and she took the picture and put it on the table. And she pulled out her phone and took a picture of it, and she didn't even know it was me. She was like, "Baby, who am I holding in this picture?" I'm like, "Ma, duh, me." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like really? And she took a picture of it, and it's it's a great feeling. So California's in me, but I don't have no memory. Okay. Well, what is the first memory that you have, Larry? The first memory I have of myself is coloring paper, coloring on some paper. And my mom had just bought me a speaking spell. I think I was four, going on five. In goes back pre-internet pre-PlayStation, pre-cell phone, <laughs> when we just had the Atari with Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Cubert, you know, Donkey Kong. It wasn't no Super Mario Brothers yet. It wasn't even no Nintendo yet. This was like 1983 when Michael Jackson's Thriller was the biggest album in the world. And I fell in love with his sister, Janet Jackson, when Control <laughs> dropped after the first two albums didn't do good. So I come from that era. Of music, of entertainment, but back in the day, we didn't have no social media, so we wasn't connected worldwide like that. Oh, you are playing my song, man. We have chewed some of the same dirt. So my my memory is of a speaking spell that is a little digital thing that teaches you how to spell certain words. Like, it'll say, spell conceited, and it'll show you how it spells conceited, (laughs) and then it's like, it'll disappear, and you got to remember how to spell the word, and I mastered it. I mastered it by the age of six, and I won my first poetry competition. That was my second memory. I think I was in the first grade, kindergarten going to the first grade, and I beat out everybody in the school doing a Robert Frost poem called The Road That's Taken. Um, two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be the long traveler alone. I stood and stand as far as I could to see the bend and the undergrowth. And I still remember it 30, former 30 something years later, I still remember it, and I won, and I won first place. And I remember they put me on the high school level at the high school I would graduate from in the future where my mom would graduate from Miami Southridge Senior High Class in 95, Miami <laughs> Spartans. You know, I just got to throw that out there. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but I had made it to the high school level and I came in first place. I beat our high school students at the age of six. And I remember getting the, the, the trophy and the ribbon they gave me, and I remember throwing it in the garbage. Oh. Like, I, I didn't take it home to my mom. I remember throwing it away. And the only reason why I threw it away is because I was awarded for reciting somebody else's work. Oh. I felt like it wasn't my words. I felt like I didn't write it. I felt like I recited other people's words. And then winning that contest was like, okay, I'm winning on somebody else's work. Larry Wilson, yes. DeFaro 69. Yes, I, hold on for one second. Love you, Uncle Baby. Oh. I love you, sis. My family can't spend some time with me. I love y'all be family. Safe. I love that family can't I love y'all. I've been, y'all call me. Hey, they just give them love, love from, a, from a stranger, Keys Dan. <laughs> oh, they heard you. <laughs> they heard you. <laughs> I got you a speaker. Okay, now you have my full divider. You already have my divider. Oh, absolutely. But I'm a, fam- I'm a family man. I'm the oldest uncle. I have about 14 nieces and nephews <laughs> all together between my in-laws and my real siblings. I don't have kids of my own. I uh-huh. have godchildren. So I'm a very family-oriented kind of guy. That's Larry. But when I'm off of the Pharaoh 69, the King of Erotica, family kind of get brushed to the side. It's business. You know, <laughs> you got to know how to separate business from personal. And this is who I am. 
and who I've always been since I was a kid. Oh yeah, I've been writing. Yeah, I've been writing a, over thirty-four years now. That's a dichotomy right there. And you, I mean, just uh, reading that Robert Frost that shaped you a little bit. And yeah, it shaped me a lot. But but it, it taught me the to, power of words. Yeah, but it held you. You held yourself to a higher standard. You already recognized that it was somebody else's words. You needed to come up with your own words, Larry. Exactly. <laughs> now you understand. Now, if I would have won the the award reciting my own poetry, that's one thing. Right. The reason why I recited the poem, I didn't pick the poem. The poem, the poem chose me. Right. And I say that because I remember being given the Dr. Seuss book, The Cat in the Hat, the Cat in the Hat, and Green Eggs and Ham, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And I remember my teacher told me I had to read that book. And I was going to read it. You know, you're a kid, it's children's book. You see the characters, the big red dumb dog, and Curious George, and you know, stuff like that was in my era of school. Sure. Well, I should say, I should say institutionalized program. And I always, <laughs> I always been woke since I was a kid. And then I always scared. And I'm going to tell you how I got to that. Please. This is what we get into the, the root of why I write and the root of how I knew this was my purpose before I knew it was my purpose. I was given that book to read. Now, I remember my grandfather, Luke, the one that did the 30 years in the Air Force, retired Master Sergeant Luke Delima Craig. Okay. And he was he was going to take me fishing. And I had my little fishing hat, my little fishing pole, my little fishing shorts. I'm like six. You know, I'm already. And my granddad sitting in the living room of the Princeton trailer park. He lived in a nice trailer at the time. Mm -hmm. And he had his legs crossed like so. Had his little old school pipe, which you stuffed the tobacco in like a, like a Native American. And you turn the lighter upside down. And you light the tobacco. And he was reading the book. He loved Tom Clancy and all those Rainbow Six War books. And he had bookshelves all over his house, just full of books. And I always love books because every time I see my grandfather, he's reading something. He's reading a newspaper from front to back, the whole newspaper, not part of it. He even read the comics. And when they had the funny comics and he read the ads, he read everything. So I'm jealous. I'm I was like, Papa, when we going fishing? Mm -hmm. And he kind of looked up at me and I got the cat in the hat book in my hand. You know, cause I was going to read it when we got to the fishing spot and he didn't say anything. And I got kind of in my feelings and I stumped my little foot, my little fishing head. And I dropped my little fishing pole. I said, pop, pop, when are we going fishing? And mind you, I'm getting more jealous because he's getting more attention to the book he's reading. And I felt like he wasn't paying attention to me. Right. And this is the door opening to my destiny before I even realized what was happening. I kept staring at that book and I remember saying, and I kind of hid the kind of hat book behind my back and I looked at him and I said, Pop, if I write a book, would you read it? And only then my eyes is tearing up because you don't really, you don't really think about it when you're going through it, but it's like thinking about it now, everything I've been through in my journey from the homelessness to living with HIV, to surviving abuse as a kid, all these things that was trying to stop me from reaching that destiny when that door opened. That's when he looked up at me and he said, what's that book in your hand, Smiley? My nickname is Smiley. Don't tell nobody. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, no, nobody's listening. Don't worry about it. My tears up right now. Oh, and sweet. I said, the cat in the hat. My teacher wanted me to read it, but you didn't answer my question, Papa. If I write a book, would you read it? And he, he, he took the cat in the hat, he snatched the book out of my hand. He flung Dr. Seuss so far across the living room, I think Dr. Seuss disappeared behind the couch. Oh. And he picked me up, 
he put me in his lap and he introduced me to the world of National Geographic magazine. And he read it with me cover to cover. And I would read and he subscribed to a Writer's Digest, Reader's Digest and National Geographic. After I said those words, if I write a book, would you read it? And I would read every last National Geographic and save over 1,040 maps that came in from the age of six to the age of 17. I read every last one of them. Cover to cover. So I've never, as far as on the level of education with my peers, we were being taught we were slaves, but I always knew we were kings and queens and Nefertiti because I was reading the National Geographic. It opened this whole new world from ghouls, from women selling their bodies on the corner. You know, I, I have a memory. I was seven years old. I was walking to school. And this is like um, and maybe in 1985 now, 1984. And I'm walking to Pineville Elementary, which is a magnet school now. Okay. Mysteriously, now I'm not there anymore. It's a magnet school now. And this lady came up to me, her little fishnet leggings and her little leather skirt, you know, the breast propped up like Janet Jackson in the, you know, in the all for you era when she was strapping the dude to the stage. And she was like, mm, how much you want to buy this coochie for a boy? How old were you? You were a little boy. I was, I was seven. Yeah, you and were. remember, it was no internet. It was no social media. And back in those days, you couldn't pay nobody white. And Cubans weren't really over here like that. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't pay nobody white in Cuba to walk through ghouls at that particular point in time back then unless you want to get killed or shot. It was strictly black, and we we was destroying ourselves. But as a kid, I'm not only reading National Geographic, but I'm seeing the horrors of ghouls. I'm going through abuse myself and hiding it because some people in my family didn't believe it this woman's telling me hey boy you want to buy some coochie and i looked at her and i said what's coochie right. and she had she said this right here with the panties covering boy it's only seven and you ain't got seven dollars and i had a ten dollar bill and i pulled my ten dollar bill out i said well seven dollars go get me some coochie lady what ten dollars go get me and i remember she just looked at me she froze. She looked at me and she looked at me real strange. And I'm wiggling my ten dollars. I'm like, so what you gonna give me for ten dollars? And she ran from me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I <laughs> I'll never forget that for as long as I live. So I'm seeing it and I'm reading it. So I'm reading the literature that's different from what they was teaching me in institutionalized conditioning when they got Queen Elizabeth Ferdinand the Great, Napoleon who crowned himself king behind the wall of his empire. It's all over our classrooms. The only white woman, remember, white people weren't in our neighborhood like that back then. The teacher is why her name was Miss Went. My first grade teacher, I'll never forget. I say, where are my people? And I'm reading National Geographic, but I never told nobody. That was a secret I kept till my book started blowing up later on mm -hmm. as an adult. I was being conditioned and seasoned by my grandfather for uh, my destiny. And my books, his book, those same bookshelves he had when I was a kid, now my books are my books are on those bookshelves now. So it's like another full circle moment. I used to stare at those bookshelves. One day I'm having books up there and it happened. But Miss mm -hmm. Went told us, Boy, what are you talking about? Y'all were only slaves. That's Ferdinand. I said, I don't want to know about no Ferdinand. I don't want to know about no Queen Elizabeth. Who was, the, who was that lady anyway? I, was it anybody looked like me, black like me, a king and queen? Right. And she told me, no, y'all were slaves. And they would put on the movie Roots. And I, to this day, never saw that movie. No matter what grade I was in, no matter what class they showed that movie in, I did not want to be reminded 
how y'all took my ancestors from their home and forced us over here. And now you're trying to force me to watch Roots as if this go explain my whole ethnicity on why I'm on this earth. So I got rolled up. I had they wrote a referral on me because I would not watch Roots. And my mother told her, if my son don't want to watch this movie, he don't have to. And the only reason why I don't is because I, brought, I went to the library mad. I walked out of class and she kept trying to make me watch Roots. I left. I went to the library. And they got jolly seat windows, dusty windows. You know them long windows, them little panel windows. You turn a little knob and there's like nine different panels or windows open. You know, them old school windows. Oh, I remember those windows. <laughs> yeah, so I went into the library. And I'm looking for a book because I ain't bring my National Geographic with me. But I know I read something that we were a king. But I couldn't quite remember because, you know, the ignorance of my age. I read it, but I remember things, but not fully. So I'm looking. And I tripped over my foot and I fell because my shoe wasn't tied. And I remember I tied my shoe. And I looked, and it was a book under the bookshelf like somebody deliberately hid the book under the bookshelf and they had a Kennington who was Nefertiti's husband on the cover hmm. and I remember pulling the book out and opening it and they got black faces like me mm-hmm. they got features like me they you know things like that the pyramids the, the, the speaks the step pyramid the, the temple of Cologne, things like that I'm reading about different the step pyramid at that age it reinforced what i read in national geographic so i took the book to class and i said excuse me miss Wynn," and i said but did you say we were just slaves mm-hmm. and my friends my uh, first grade now first grade i was a little feisty thing <laughs> until i started getting abused and that kind of that light kind of dimmed in me for the next 15 20 years which would be another topic but mm-hmm. um she was like yes i'm not gonna keep telling you that's what you are i said well according to this book in my hand in the cover, and not all my friends that were saying I was crazy, now they paying attention because they see a visual of black faces with gold crowns yes. and staff and gold goblets and gold slippers and the Osiris, the different um, things in Egyptian history. I'm flipping through the book. I say, so these people are white, huh? These people look like Ferdinand the Great, Queen Elizabeth. And she took the book and threw the book in the trash and said, oh, this is just a fiction book. It's made no. up. Yes, no, that is history. And this is in my autobiography as well, called "The Kingdom," which I had got nominated for 178 awards for when I put it out back in 2014. My whole journey from childhood, the rapes, the abuse I went through, living with HIV, being a stripper, being in the United States Army, being raped in there, doing four years in prison, almost getting raped in there. I, I documented my whole life that led me to this point. I met Bruce Willis. And Billy Bob Thornton, when I was in prison, they shot a movie called Bandits. And I was one of the first people they picked to be in the movie. As soon as the movie started, when Bruce Willis is in the boxing ring and and Billy Bob Thornton is telling him they took garlic off the the commissary and Bruce Willis got upset and he started punching through the ring. I was there for that for 14 hours. They were set in prison. This was God showing me my light. Then that prison was necessary to share who I was to become the man I was destined to be. So I had to be falsely in prison. There's a lot of biblical figures that was falsely in prison that God still used for greater things. And I can say now 
half a million books sold later through word of mouth, <laughs> you know, winning the, the certificate of integrity from the New York State Senate in 2016 for all my achievements. A man that wrote his first book when he was homeless as far as publishing, a man that wrote 65 books in four years in prison before I was released. I had a whole library of an arsenal and I still have it to almost 20 years later up in my room. Books I haven't even released yet. Larry everything Wilson. I put out, everything I put out is stuff off my dome. I haven't even pulled out my arsenals yet. What I wrote to show people what I did with four years, nine months in prison. My mind was never in there. My mind was outside of it, in the library, writing books. I sat at that table in the dorm from 6 in the morning when lights came on to 10.30 at night when lights went off. I didn't go eat breakfast. I didn't go eat lunch. I ordered my commissary. I brought it to that table. And every day for three years, every single freaking day, weekend, rain, snow, sleet, I was at that table in the middle of the dorm writing my books in huge folders. I'm going to take a picture of it and send it to you after this yes. to show you the scope of my rise as the Pharaoh 69. <laughs> and before I was in, So this is not something, hey, I want to write a book. I want to put a book. No, I went through the whole journey, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the pe people that know your potential. Uh, I should say the devil knew what I was to become as a child. Well, the devil knew what I was to become as an adult as a best-selling author, winning all these awards. So he tried to destroy that early when I was a child, and he didn't succeed. Larry Wilson, at, at an early age, you knew that black people, uh, African-Americans, were not just slaves. You have Thanks a rich history, for. man. From Thanks first grade, you wanted to know more than roots, okay, what the, uh, what, what the American people uh, think of as black history. No, there's more to that. There's more to that than sensationalism because you got to remember anything with a script has been manipulated and edited for oh, clarity, yeah. a.k.a. it's a lie, a.k.a. you can't take the truth and take away 20% of it, throw a white face on it, and try to say white people are African. Okay, for one, they're not. They may have raided Africa and used us to sell ourselves into slavery, get us to do their dirty work. Uh -huh. But you're not black. But it's like the cultural appropriation is going on right now. It was a gradual process from even the 80s. It didn't just happen. They had a movie called Exodus where Moses was played by a white man with a, a Marines crew cut. I didn't dare watch that movie. <laughs> I, I, I didn't believe that. that movie. You know, I mean, uh, you know what you kind of brought up. It, it, you kind of brought up in my head uh, all these movies where uh, the the white teacher will go to the inner city and save the children. Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Edward James I love almost. Michelle Pfeiffer uh, now. What is it? Uh, I love the Catwoman now. I love the Catwoman. <laughs> let's be real. You can't get a white woman I like as an act actress and think this gonna change my damn mind about my people. <laughs> <laughs> and this bitch ain't never seen her in the city a day in her life. So I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I watched the movie because of Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah. But I just feel like it was culture appropriate with Coolio with the theme song, with the Dangerous Mind theme. So I remember the Gangsta's Paradise. Oh, for you sure. You know, back in the day when they was making real music, I don't know what this hip-hop trap slot <laughs> they're making now. Well, I'm a child of the 80s. You're a child of the 90s primarily. I graduated 86, Western High School, Fort Lauderdale. Woo! 86. Yeah. Dang, and, I think I was in the fifth grade, 86. Yeah, and you're 95, you say. Uh, yeah, my, 1995. Yeah, so, so we're about 10 years old. apart music-wise. Uh, you, you're, you're living in, in, in Biggie, Tupac, uh, Snoop Dogg. Let me, let, me, let, me get you, let me get you together right quick.
quick. Go ahead, please, please. We'll get you together right quick, Missy. You think you know my musical? And and then you said Michael Jackson. You did, 1983. No, 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 not even Michael. You forgot my mother is black. Uh, My grandmother is black. My grand aunt, Sam Cooke, Tyrone Davis, (laughs) Otis Redding. (laughs) Do not dare try me with no Michael Jackson. Jackie Wilson, who we studied. Oh, you better believe it. Should I go on? Uh, I'm with Sam Cook. Only you send me. Only you. You want me to sing another one? Twisting the night away. My mom played. Sending chills up my spine, Larry Wilson. As my childhood, my mother played. Those albums, Gladys Knight, Midnight Train to Georgia, and then went to Love Overboard, Love Overboard. <sighs> My musical taste is a little deeper than you think. Oh, no, you've had a good musical education, I can tell. Your mama raised <laughs> you right. <laughs> Thanks to my mother. Thanks to my mother driving me crazy with those Denise Williams. Silly of me. If I heard that one more time as a kid, I swear I was going to destroy that album. Man, this is what karma is called. When I said that, back yeah. in the day, you know, vinyls was the big thing. Oh, for sure. You know, the vinyl records. My mom used to hang hers up with sewing needles of Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, my God. I'm thinking about things I ain't thought about in over almost 40 years. That's this what we're here for. And I still remember it vividly as if I'm standing in the living room as a kid. I'm looking at Denise Williams hanging on the wall. Sugar Hill Gang with sewing needles that you use with the needle and thread. She used to hang them up with that. Right after I said that about Denise Williams two days later, I'm playing with the record. I'm like, oh, she kind of pretty when I'm discovering what pretty is and the sewing needle some kind of way got into my right hand all the way and they had to rush me to the hospital before the needle pretty much destroyed my heart so it was like oh i can't put in the words i have the scar right now still on my hand i'm staring at it as a talk to you and i remember they took me to miami children's hospital and there was this Beautiful doctor, this white man. He had to be about eighty something. <laughs> I would, never, I would never forget him as long as I live, and I never got to get his name. But when he came into the room, he said, "How you gonna be a writer with a needle in your hand?" <laughs> and I looked at, and I looked at this white dude like, "How the hell you know I write?" Right? How did he know that? And I looked at my grandpa, you know, because there's my mom and everybody panicking. And I called my grandpa. I was like, "Did y'all tell him?" Because the only person that knew I was writing was nobody. All I told my grandfather was if I wrote a book and he gave me National Geographic, I didn't tell him that I started immediately with the speaking spell. I will win every spelling bee, but I didn't want to go national. I just want to do it on the high school level. I didn't want none of that extra stuff. I never got a B ever. Every From every grade, from kindergarten to 12th grade, I aced every spelling test and never got one wrong. Go get him, Larry Wilson. Oh, man. So, yeah, you started writing as, as a way to get into your grandfather's heart, uh, you know, part, partially because you wanted your, some attention. I see some of the kids right now uh, doing the same thing because, you know, their parents are on their cell, on their uh, phones playing on Facebook and and the kids are getting ignored. Maybe the kids want to be want to be a, uh, a phone. It's funny you say that because my niece has just left. She's eight. Her name is Kamala Ayeli Hutchinson. Yeah. And she come over. She was like, I'm going to Uncle Larry. Come over Uncle Larry. So my sister bring her to, to see me. And she had the tablet. And there was a comment made, oh, these kids are more advanced than us. He's two, three years old. Know how to work the tablet better than me. I said, you know why? Because my speaking spell back pre-internet days is like the, the phones and the tablets are like their speaking spell. They are advanced because they got the internet we didn't have the internet in our era because if we did we would have been just as smart as the kids today different time different place y2k 
was the end of the world as far as we knew it. People thought a bomb was going to blow off. People thought, I love Jesus. I never mock him, but people thought Jesus was going to come out there. <laughs> and what people didn't understand was Y2K was the death of society as we know it. It was the introduction of computers into your home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that. Some people probably do, but it's not talked about. But I've always been woke, thanks to my grandfather, God, my own praying for understanding and reading those National Geographics. I had college prep English since. I had college prep English since the eighth grade, just to give you an idea of what those magazines opened up in my mind. I was the only black kid. It was seven people in that class. College prep English, eighth grade, Southwood Middle School in Perrine, home of the stars. I'm the only black kid in the class with six other white kids. I'm the only black kid. And I had the highest GPA in that class because of those National Geographics opening my mind. I believe that to be true. I know that I had a, a, a scattering of National Geographics and Reader's Digest and, and even Highlight magazines when I was even younger. But it, I, I remember reading, and, and that, that is a very important thing uh, to, to teach young people is to make sure that you put a book in their hands, any book, any book that they're interested in. Cause that, I don't watch TV. I have. A, I think when I was 15, I took the TV out of my room when I was reading about subliminal, subliminal messaging when I was 15 and National <laughs> Geographic. I took my TV out of my room. My mother, if you ever meet my mother, she would tell you. She bought me a TV for Christmas. By after the new year, I took it out of my room and never put a TV in my room again. That's, <laughs> okay. that's, what, I fig- that's what I figured out what um, regularly scheduled programming means. Keyword on programming. What is programming? Who is being programmed <laughs> from watching these shows? And I put two and two together. And from my reading and my understanding, I'm saying, okay, these images flashing in my face. It's making me mad. If it's about racism, it's making me mad. Make me want to be the white people. If it's making me watch about the NAACP and white people started, now I'm loving white people again. Why am I going through all these emotions watching these shows? And I'm not realizing what made me realize it was watching my mother watch the Young and the Restless one day. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Young and the Restless fan. I used to hate soaps. I'm like, why are these white people screwing each other? Mama, their own brothers, and <laughs> Dr. Norman and locking people in dungeons, and Nikki was a stripper, and Jude <laughs> was a pit. Pocket. That's how she met Neil Winters. Rest in peace. Um, I forgot his name. Chris Saint Saint Joss. I forgot his name. But long story short, my I was talking to my mom when she was watching The Young and the Restless, uh-huh. and I'm like, Mom, could I go outside and play? My mom was sitting on a chair in a trance watching The Young and the Restless. My mother was in a trance. If that makes sense, and I'm not just saying that. Because it sounds nice. I'm looking at my mother not blinking. I'm looking at my mother's hands flat on her lap. I'm looking at my mother so into this program that she did not hear me talking to her. And I'm directly in her ear standing by her side. And I say, Mom, and I touch her shoulder. You don't hear me? Mom, could I go outside and play the ball with my friends? She still, come on, Nikki, slap that hoe. She's evil. Yeah, she done kidnapped your baby, Lord Fenmore being poisoned with poison in the necklace. But she in a trance as she's saying this. But she didn't hear a word I said about going outside playing with the ball. So I tapped her again and my mother snapped out of it. She's like, huh, baby, huh, you say something, baby? And she started blinking. My mother didn't blink for 15 whole minutes. And that's what made me take my TV out my room. You are bringing back memories for me because I remember, uh, you know, something about Luke and Laura and and people talking about it like it was real. 
and people yeah. talking about Jr. getting shot and went, "Oh my goodness, yeah, somebody got shot." What fight happened? The actors, the actors in restaurants in real life, people sending them death threats. I'm gonna kill you, Sheila. You stole that baby out of the hospital. It's just a character. It was the said. actor. It was the actor. No, but that's oh, the result that. of regularly scheduled programming. It turns you into a demon of its own design. Oh my goodness! They, that's right. They sucked you right in, and and, and soaps were the the. It, it was for the masses. I mean, all the the housewives that were home, uh, they would. That was what they watched. That was their that entertainment. Was the number one show. I think Young and the Rest was the number one show for thirty five years in eighty. Wow. You are so right. My goodness, Larry, Larry Wilson, you're bringing up stuff that I, I hadn't even thought about in a long time. Shoot. So, all right, you, you grew up, you're, you were uh, excelling in school and, and writing, and, and what what did you end up writing, and, and what did your grandfather actually read? Did he read anything that you wrote? My grandfather called himself read my erotica books, and he called himself, he said, grandson, I know I opened that door for you to be a writer as a kid, but... The stuff you ran about, ooh, grandson, I had to put that down. I don't think I could read that, but your grandma, <laughs> best friend Dorothy, took them all home to read them with her nasty stuff. And, she, when I, and when I seen Dorothy, she was like, boy, oh, my God, you made me think about my college days. Oh, my God, the man I had. Oh, my God. And it's like my biggest fans are black women. Yeah. As, a, a, as a bisexual author, it's like black women are attracted to my stories because I tell it. Like it is. To give you an example, I wrote a book called Some Airwear Panties. Mm-hmm. And I opened the book and I got to edit it because my little God baby just walked to the door and we was talking. My godson is here. His birthday is coming up. His name is Noel. Oh, you know, he called the caveman. He won the state, you know, championship for football, you know, yeah. the beast. That's my baby. He's here. So I got to edit where I just realized he's here and he's a man. So I got to edit my conversation but i'm not gonna edit <laughs> well i noticed i i'm i already uh, added you as a friend on facebook and i saw that you mm-hmm. have a, a kind of a little photo shoot of of men wearing panties there yeah that was taken <laughs> i went to the goodwill and bought the outfit yeah. i took it to the cleaners and got it starched and pressed where it looked like you're from jc penny because I, I it was told me if i wore a garbage bag i still make it look nice but i've never been stuck on myself because of the abuse I went through as a kid, because of the things I've seen in his life. And remember, I told you when I was seven years old, the lady with the fishnet stockings that walked up to me, I was like, hey, boy, you know, how much do you want to give, give me a shot of, you know, coochie for my $7? And the story I told y'all, it's like it huh. came full circle in this life I'm living, that life is blunt. Life is blood raw. When your mother gives birth to you, you come out bloody and battered, screaming, butt naked in front of a bunch of strangers you don't know. And this is the <laughs> metaphor I use for my writing. It's blood raw. It's as if you just pushed out a baby and your mind is blank, that child mind is blank, and the only thing that child learned that fills up the blank pages is the things of the environment and the way the environment shaped you. So instead of the environment shaping me, and when I told you I took my TV out my room, when I saw my mother in the trans watching Young and the Restless for 15 minutes, my mother did not blink. Yeah. And that scared me to see that, that she was so into this show. And I'm reading National Geographic at the time about subliminal messaging. And I'm seeing a real life version 
Mom, can I go outside and play ball? My friends asked her twice, and her hands is flat on her lap, and she looking like Janet Jackson in the knowledge in the many films she did. Was she staring at all the screens before Ooh. time returned? It's a Janet Jackson did a Rhythm Nation film oh. short. Oh, I know. I, 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 I think I remember what you're talking about, man. And, and right I like me some Janet. Did, <laughs> right after she did Miss You Much, that's my favorite entertainer in the world. I'm going to see her Black Diamond tour two days for my birthday this year, but that's another story. Anyway, oh, that's excellent. It's, a, it's like a short film, Rhythm Nation. Like it, it opened with Black Cat with her in the club. Then she went up the escalator to Miss You Much. Then when she did the chair routine, they walked to the couch area, and there was a bunch of cartoons on the screen with a shoe. And Tyron Turner and the, his friend were polishing shoes, and Janet wanted them to come to the clubhouse, but Tyron was selling drugs. He wanted this money the fast way because he said he didn't want to get in the, you know, the record industry. Kind of explaining what Rhythm Nation meant, but it was a movie. And they showed a car coming while he shined a shoe with the white boy. He wanted to go with Janet and talk about his career because Tyron was selling drugs, and Janet was seeing it through the screen. She was seeing what's happening through the screen. So Tina Landon, all the dancers and Miss You Must, they laughing, sitting in the living room area, Janet staring at the screen in the trance. And that's how my mother was looking, watching the young and the wrestlers. Yeah. So when I seen that, I took my TV out of my room. The only reason why I got a TV in my room now because I'm married. But I started <laughs> my spouse. I'd be like, I don't want to watch that bed. I want to write my books. I've always been a library person. My best friend was a library. Like, if you want to find me in school, they're going to say, Larry in the library. Because they said, you want to hide something from a nigga, hide it in the book. But they didn't anticipate that this nigga was going to start writing books when I started reading. <laughs> oh, they just didn't know, Larry Wilson. All right. So, growing up, man, oh, you, you, you're our storyteller. I can see that. I knew this was going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm on a ride, man, and my listeners are on a ride with Larry Wilson Jr., uh, Pharaoh 69 So, all right. So, wh when does it, when does it start to, to turn to DeFaro? Because, you, you, all right, uh, normal childhood, kind of. Uh, when does the sexuality start to start to blossom? Did you know in school, in high school, in middle school? Uh, you know, or, or did you know at seven years old when that when that uh, lady offered you some for seven bucks? I, it's crazy. It's it, it's one thing about when you are born to do something. Mm -hmm. A lot of people live their life. They do one or two things. They, they're living or they're existing. And I was merely existing until I told my grandfather at six years old when I was jealous. He wouldn't take us on this fishing trip. He wouldn't put that book now he was reading. And I said, Pop, if I write a book, would you read it? I didn't realize at that moment in my life, I actually came into my purpose before I knew what a purpose was. And everything I went through from the abuse to jail to suicide attempts to adolescence growing up acne on your face i'm not understanding all of that was infused into my writing so instead of going to a therapist my writing was therapeutic for me right actually writing about what i seen in the form of characters and then sitting back and reading your material again so lost in your material because it's so good you forget you wrote it you actually think somebody else wrote it and, it, and it's like damn this came from my brain like has this always been in my head? And it causes you to analyze yourself a little deeper. Like, Lord, it's a dyslexic man that can't talk right right now. It's a woman that can't read right now. It's somebody in a wheelchair that can't hear or speak. But you blessed me with this gift I never 
asked for. That's why I told you writing found me through my grandfather through one sentence. Pop, if I wrote a book, would you read it? Kyle was jealous he was reading that book and not taking the picture. And I didn't know it was going to open the door for what you see almost 35 years later. Right. And you're, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and let people know you're an award-winning author. But previous to that, you started writing at six years old, seven years old to, to get the attention of your grandfather. What did you start writing and what inspired you back then? See, I didn't I didn't write to get my grandfather's attention. Cause remember when I started writing, I didn't tell nobody I actually started. That was my secret. Right. I did, I danced. I taught myself how to dance. And I won over forty five first place awards in dancing. I danced just as good as I write. I'm talking about street, modern, jazz. I, I taught myself that too. Wow. You and know, TV or, or reading books or how did you teach yourself? How I taught myself is by reading other people's work because you have to read to stay abreast what's going on. And it's like Michael Jackson studying Jackie Wilson, studying James Brown. I did that. Was I read every Stephen King book he ever wrote. I've read over 46,000 books since the age of six. At one point in my life, I was reading eight books a week. When I was doing time, I read 12 books a week. All I did was read and write my own stories. So before I wrote my first book, I literally told myself, okay, I went to the library. I started reading books. Okay, they say so much here. Okay, they tie the subplot. Okay, they mention something in chapter one and they don't bring it up again to chapter 10. You know, I was teaching myself through other people. Sidney Sheldon, The Master of the Game is one of my favorite books. Sister Soldier, the coldest one that ever changed my life forever. Why well, I know why the cage bird sings Maya Angelou. Every James Patterson. I could sit here and name some authors for you. Jackie Collins wrote the Hollywood fiction. She talked about the sex. And I'm like, oh my God, you go write this kind of stuff in books? It's like reading their books opened my mind even more and more and more to the possibilities. So when I started writing my own stuff, the first thing I told myself was, self, since my mouth is already no filter, I want my writing to reflect my experience, how the environment shaped me, how the village that was supposed to raise me fell, how writing wasn't to get my grandfather's attention because I did it in secret, but it turned out to be my saving grace when I started being abused on the level I was, and it was therapeutic, and it helped me deal with it, and this was the things I was writing about, what this man was doing to me, da-da-da, what I was going through, going to bed, to the smell of my blood every night, taking a bath with my rump hurting. I went through so much pain, and if it wasn't for the writing, I think I would have killed myself as a child. That writing literally found me and saved my life. That's why I'm so passionate. So since I wrote my first book from before jail and after, remember I wrote about almost 65 to 70 books before I was released. I came out of prison with manuscripts. I still have upstairs in, in the office. Right. But I wrote over 340 books in the past 20 years I haven't released yet. So if God forbid if I die tonight, my husband, John, and my mother can put out nine books a year for the next 70 years and still have books left over. Oh, yeah. I don't want too much stuff. I mean, uh, Prince, uh, rest his soul, he, he has so much stuff that's, uh, that's not released. I hope one day it comes out. 
<laughs> it will. It will because they killed them to get it anyway. Let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, you know, it, it, there is the conspiracy theories. Yeah, Prince don't do no drugs. It's doctor confirmed. I'm very blunt. I'm, I can't help it. Allegedly, let me say that, but I'm not changing my damn mind. I studies this stuff. And remember, I'm in the industry, so to speak, and I understand it. That's why when Prince did an interview, and I love him, Janet Jackson, my number one, but I love Prince. Prince did a, 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 a interview talk about chemtrails hmm. that opened my mind. I'm like, that's the plane that looked like the smoke is behind the plane. Yeah. Over the whole neighborhoods and stuff, but you never see it in the rich neighborhoods and the elite parts of downtown. It's always over the ghetto. Then people are fighting, killing each other. Men are killing their babies and throwing them at dumpsters. And I got to think about chemtrails. What does this mean? You know, when I hear stuff, I'm going to research it. But Prince says something that really opened my mind. They say, Prince, if you can give advice to the young people coming into the music industry or the industry, what advice would you give them? And Prince looked at the camera and said, I got two words. Don't sign. <laughs> so this is why I remain independent. This is why I'm my own boss. I publish what I want to publish. Um, I can write. I can break all the rules, and I have. I don't follow formulas. If I want to open my book and go child with 40 L's behind it, that's the hell how I'm going to put in my book because it's reflecting the mood of the character. And by breaking these moods and these rules, I didn't know I was going to open the door for a whole bunch of LGBT men to follow me. Well, my stores were number one on BGC Live and it's one of the number one sites, you know, for LGBT back in the day. Mm -hmm. A lot of websites, MySpace, 4 million people read my work when I was becoming the Pharaoh 69 Father, wrote the first book when I was homeless. I had 500 plus number one blogs and writing and poetry. I beat out Zane blog on the main MySpace blog and the Suicide Girls and Puff Daddy. I was at number seven, but she was at number eight and Puff Daddy was at number 11. And back then, that's a big deal for a guy that's from Goose, that's independent, nobody know about, got a blog that got four million readers and uh, nine million comments and kudos. They want to know who is this guy? Yeah. So me get to this point, I did my, I, I got in the ring. I, I competed against people, you know, other writers, and I didn't know that was going to open the door for a whole new wave of some of these LGBT shows you see on YouTube. A lot of that stuff have a lot of my work in it. I don't sue them. I'm flattered. I see because my stories are in the morning online for, for I think nine months straight on BGC that I got some D series I call IGSD and it's five books and I had to edit it for my, my godson here. But that was number one for nine months. Over 12 million people read this story on four different websites. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing pieces of my stories and people's shows now that's blowing up all over YouTube. And I'm flattered. You know, and a, a few on um, site, hey, the Pharaoh 69 is one of the reasons why I decided to write my first book. You oh. know, I'm the reason for over 80-something books getting written by first-time LGBT authors and straight people because they were so inspired that I did it all on my own. My goodness, Larry Wilson. Yes, and you've been inspiring other people. And every time you tell a story, you throw away another thing, like the abuse, the going to jail, the HIV positive, the sexuality, all these things. They need. Are, I'd like to go further into them. When when did you discover all all these facets of you, Larry Wilson? Uh, you know, when did you figure out? All right, maybe it, it wasn't the coochie that you wanted. Uh, maybe it was something else, or or, or maybe it's both. Uh, you know how. 
Let's. I mean, and, and you've been called a sex symbol. Let's face it; you're a very pretty man. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think so. I think I'm okay, but thank you. <laughs> but you, but you write about it. You, you live it. You become it. Uh, you know, you. Ha- it's a part of. It's a facet of your, uh, of your person, and, and people recognize that. When did you discover it, though? It wasn't a matter of discovery for me. Like the writing found me, the 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 the, the oh, sexual awakening found me, but through a derogatory and forceful way. Uh-huh. And I've dealt with it now to the point I could talk about it and not cry because it used to make me literally break out of hives to think about that. I, there was nobody there to save me but God and myself. Um, it was, you know, at the hands of a trusted family member at the time. And I edited because remember, Godson is still here. Right. And I'm kind of still iffy talking. I forgot they were coming, but business is business. And he's going to find out one day anyway. So it's a good thing he is here. But long story short, uh, it found me in a, a negative way through a family member. And it went on for four years. And I'm not talking about just a little touching here and a little touching there. I'm talking about the whole act. I'm talking about the pain with it, the blood with it, where I can't sit down straight. Like I sit in my chair in school, I'm sitting sideways, and I'm hiding it. And my teacher, Miss Mike, knew. And this is where the story gets interesting. Miss mm-hmm. Mike, my teacher, she had this jippy curly part in this tight black dress, very mean teacher, but she wound up being my guardian angel. And she was the one that forced me to do the Robert Frost poem. And um, for the for the the poetry competition, that's how it felt me. And I remember when she told me I had to do the poem. She only picked two people out of the class: me and the girl named Patricia Lott. And I wound up beating her in the competition. And she was like, "You're going to read this poem." I'm like, "What is the poem? And why I got to read it? What if I don't want to do it?" And she took my hand and spanked it by eight times with this long ass wooden ruler. And she said, you're going to read this poem. You're going to go home. You're going to memorize it. You're going to recite it from memory. And I'm thinking, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> like, and I told my mom, because back then you can get powder in school. My mom was like, well, you must have did something to get your ass whooped. <laughs> so she went out to the school when the teacher told her. My mom politely got together said, so you hit my son, can you want to read a poem? He didn't act up. He didn't throw a shoe at you. He didn't skip. He didn't leave. Can't you like no show? You ever hit my son again, I'm going to break your neck. Mm-mm. So little story short, um, I did the poem anyway. I wound up winning. I got put into a competition I didn't know about winning it. Then I'm whisked off to the high school level. Started reading at the age of six, and I beat out ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders with ease, but it was somebody else's work. This is why I threw the trophy away. I didn't feel right. I'm not Robert Frost. So why am I accepting this award? Because I recited his words and only that fueled my writing. But going through the abuse fueled it even more. Because since the couple people I told in my family didn't believe me. Oh, your mama got a good man. She's married. Da, 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 da. You know, this man is not my real father. He's my brother's father. My three little brothers, they got the same father. That's their father. But long story short, because I forgave him and forgave myself, and I moved on, and when I forgave myself, it's like this burden just lifted off of me. Larry, instead of acting out, instead of hurting people, put it in your writing and let it help somebody else. So that's what I was writing about, my abuse. And my teacher read my composition notebook one day because she always saw me writing in a quiet time. Mm-hmm. When the kids were asleep, when they used to make you take a nap, I was up writing my composition But I'm not sleeping. This bitch ain't finna make I'm whispering this to myself. I'm finna write my composition notebook. I got some stories. <laughs> I wrote about the prostitute lady with the fish net stockings. 
everything I encountered, I was writing it in my composition notebook, and it's like I had no control over my hands moving. It's as if it had a mind of their own. All from reading National Geographic, all from my mind being expanded, being abused, nobody believed me, so I wrote about it. I said, okay, this going to be between me and God. Every time I go to bed, I got to wonder, is this the night this man can get back in here and continue what he left on? You know, always drunk, always on drugs. I went through it. But at the age of 10, revelation. I remember finding, and I was writing my composition notebook, that you remember back in the day when they had water beds? You hook your water holes up to the mattress and put the water, That it was like the water beds was the big thing. Oh, yeah, then. I had one. <laughs> and I was sitting on that. And I remember the address. It was 11335 Southwest 190th Lane, Hood Houses, Hollywood Square, right by South Ridge. And I was nine years old. i never forget it going on 10. I can't believe I remember the address. This should let you know at age 42, my mind is still there. And I found a Pepsi can behind the bed. And it had a bunch of burn holes in the can. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I went to my mom. You remember back in the day, insurance people used to come to your door. Your, your mom would put the money in the manila envelope. She'd be like, baby, when the insurance man comes to the door, you give him this envelope. This is for our medical insurance. This is before the computer internet days where the insurance people actually came to your door where you didn't need PIP or full coverage to drive your car. All you needed was a car and a driver's license back in the 80s and you get on the road. That's before the, and these greedy insurance companies stuff found out where to monetize on that. But anywho, I, I sure remember that. Hi, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, mom, why this Pepsi can got bone holes in it. And she said, let me see that can. And I gave it to her. And she said, I know this mother effer ain't doing crack in my house around my children. Mm -hmm. So she packed she like so she packed all his stuff in garbage bags and I'm helping her. I'm like, okay, this man can't touch me no more. This man getting out of the house. I'm happy as I'm saying all this in silence because my mama don't know what I was going through because this man said one thing I didn't play with. If you tell her I'm gonna kill you and I'm gonna kill her. And I didn't play with that. Mm -mm. I didn't play with that because I didn't want to open my mouth, which I did, and my cousin didn't believe me, but thank God it didn't get back to him. But if something would have happened to my mother, I would have had to live with that for the rest of my life. And I was not willing to jeopardize my mother's life because she was so happy with him. But she had no idea what I was being put through until he started the drugs. And she was like, this is why my insurance money been disappearing out this envelope. Because insurance, every time I get an insurance man, the envelope, four times in a row, no money was in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mom, why would you give me an envelope with no money? This before I found the can with the burn holes in it. And I'm like, why would you give me an envelope with no money? And I gave it to this white man. He was like, ain't no money in here. I'm like, where's the, the money, mom? Four different times. So she was like, somebody's stealing my money. But we had company coming over. We didn't know, so my mama stopped people coming over to the house mm -hmm. to see the money disappear. When it still disappeared, she didn't know. She thought maybe it was one of us. I'm like, mom, what are we going to do with hundreds of dollars and we're kids? What, what, what are we going to do with this money, mom? You know it's not us. But when I found that can with the burn holes in it, they told her this mother for stealing my share money for my kids' health and mine and doping it up. So she packed all this stuff back. She had a blue Mazda hatchback, 1986. My brother was a few months old, who's in the Air Force right now, who's married with a son. He's 30-some years old now. I'm very proud of him. Yeah. But he was a newborn baby then. 
and we packed the stuff. She went across the tracks, a place in Goose where the jip joints. And when Goose was the first established back in 1901, it was through railroads and commerce and goods from other places coming through. And it was just jip joints and stuff. That's how Goose was founded and developed. I know the whole history. I've studied it. So she went across the tracks and threw the bags out the car. You want to do drugs while my effing kids get out my house? I told you I forgive you for anything. But if you for my children and you do drugs around my children, I'm going to throw your ass out of my house. And all his friends around. It's Friday night. This man got his check. He didn't come home to pay no bills. He went across the track to hang out with his boys. And that's where my mama threw his shit at. Since you want to be out here with your boys and not bring that money home to help me raise your children. And I'm thinking in my head, hey, you can't touch me no more. I'm selling out with her. Like, I'm behind her like, yeah, you can't touch me no more, nigga. But I was thinking it in my head. But that was my saving grace. I didn't know that can with the burn holes and it was an indirect angel to get that demon out of our house. Uh-huh. So that's what writing is for me. This the, With the same passion I'm telling you, I see it as I'm telling you, I'm reliving it. Like, I see it. I know what it tastes like. I know the temperature it was. I know what I had on. I know what kind of cologne was worn. I know what I ate that day. I know what music was on the radio that day. It's like I remember every single solitary detail, every wrong, bad, filthy, disgusting, despicable, turbulent thing people has done to me. I've never forgotten it, and I put it in my right. And yeah. that's what helped keep me sane, keep me humble. I can still smile. I can still be there for others. And it keeps my sin. You've kept a record of it, Larry Wilson. <laughs> you yes, know, I did. You, you put it all down. And yes, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it will help other people. It has it helped, has other, helped people. other people. You know, it has. You, you have it's helped thousands of people around the world. It has. And when I came out that I had HIV on Facebook back in 2009, I wasn't going to tell anybody. Right. And right, I was writing about this stuff in my books about this kind of stuff. So I'm like, how could what I write about? happened to me and I'm in a committed relationship with somebody I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with and we got tested together waited four months you know the window period is three months for anybody that's been in your blood so we waited four months and we went and got tested again no sex no nothing mm-hmm. we went together got our results together we were both still negative so I gave myself to this person wholeheartedly and as my book was blowing up he was another author and because his book wasn't really doing what mine was doing mainly because he was lazy and laying on his book you can't write a book and it sell itself selling a book writing the book is tough <laughs> this is not no walk in the park you're not gonna write no book and boom stephen king wouldn't even reach with his first book you know it took it, took, it was a process it took a minute you got to put in the time you know you got to put in the effort if you're writing for monetary value you already failed that this is not why God gave you that gift. Like I said, he can give it to the man that's in the wheelchair that can't read. He could have gave you this gift to the woman that's blind that can't talk, but he gave it to you. And the worst thing you can do is bury your talent in the dirt and hide it from the world. That's like spitting in God's face, and that's written somewhere in the Word. He give you those talents to be a blessing to your testimony for others to lead them to him through what you survived. That's what your talent is for. So if you're writing for money, it's not going to work anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to express yourself to help people. The money and everything comes, it falls into place. I turned down a million dollar contract in 2009 and I turned down a $5 million contract 
2010. And I'll never forget, they paid for my plane trip to New York. I won't say the publishing company, but it's very demanding. This was, this was around the time when it was rumored with these secret societies and stuff was starting to come out. That's out today. That's when it was starting to, you know, slowly making it to mainstream. People were saying this a lies, a hoax. We didn't really know what that stuff was. But when they flew me to New York after my, my books became bestsellers, I think I had three books in the top 100 on Barnes & Noble at the same time, and I was sleeping on the park. And I didn't even know my books were in the top 100 when I was sleeping on the park. And I started getting these letters in the mail with the United States of America colors around the border of the envelope, mysteriously out of nowhere, started coming to my mom's house, and I'm reading these letters, and it starts off like they're trying to sell you a pendant, like, through church. This special prayer pendant, you wear it around your neck, and your days will be bright, but as I'm reading, it turned into a whole another letter and i still have it to this day i never got rid of it. and it was like hello i'm so-and-so from the desk of so-and-so mr larry curtis wilson jr my whole government you know you possess special skills long story short i was being introduced into something when they flew me to new york they flew me to new york maybe less than a week after i got that letter mm. and i went into the limo the whole nine they had my peach Arizona. They knew I liked crab legs. All this stuff was on Sterling Silver Platter because this independent guy from Goose done sold 70,000 books with no marketer, with no marketing team, with no publisher, selling it out my book bag, out my car I had at the time, walking on the beach by foot, book paying for my own printer, paying for my own paper, stapling it, stuff like that at Staples and selling my books. I sold, I sold half a million books through that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is lofty, almost unheard of, unbelievable. Publishers wouldn't publish me. They said I'm too black. It's too this. It's too that. You're a brilliant writer, but can you edit, edit, edit? No, because when I edit, it's gonna turn into a story I didn't want it to sound like. Right. I'm a I'm a raw writer, meaning when I write it, I don't edit shit. The only thing I edit is grammar and spell check. The way it comes out my brain is the way I put it out, and I sold half a million books that way because I did not alter edit or change my voice i think you're doing something right so, so when, when you I went was, to new york did, 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 did the, the words say uh don't sign it, did that keep rattling around in your head i hadn't i hadn't seen prince interview yet with the chemtrails with the don't sign yet. i would see that maybe four years after that yeah so that went in my mind yet but what i did take in college before i went to prison i had went to college for legal assistance, City College, when it first originated. And it was by the South Miami Metro Rail Station in this building before they moved to where the hell it is now. Mm. And I'll never forget. And, 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 and it's weird. And I say it slow because these people really tried to take my hard work and turn me into a ghostwriter of my own work. And what I mean by this, in contract class, they taught me family torts, family law, contracts, how to read contracts. And the first thing in psychology, which I was the only black kid in that college at the time, and I made the dean's list in psychology with a 3.5 straight A, with 4.0, 3.54. He said, I had an A. Cause I, he said, you're an excellent character study. You can look at somebody and read them and be right. I'm a cancer. A lot of people don't like my sound, don't give a damn, but a cancer is very receptive and I'm very sensitive and I'm psycho and I'm moody for a reason because of what I've been through in this life. I didn't I didn't come up this way, but sitting in front of white people, you don't wrote all these books 
and it's okay you're the king of erotica you're from google some ghouls and we never heard of it but you got three books in the top 100 you're you're who we are looking for we love your image your sex appeal you know if you sign this contract we could put your books in 40 different languages audio books da, 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 possible series that's how they blow your head up mm -hmm. what these white people aka white people don't know is that this dumb nigga studied contracts in college and my teachers say the first thing you do when you get a contract you turn it to the fine print don't never read it through because they're gonna butter you up they're gonna blow smoke up your ass and just, like tlc like tony braxton oh, just saying, oh, oh, and bought tlc them raggedy ass cars but la Reed and peppers don't ran off for their money and they don't went diamond with crazy sense of cool but they broke as a joke i was not about to be that dumb i learned through their example so i turned to the fine print and i see i never seen a group of eight white people sit up straight <laughs> i never i never forget how they stood up like statues like Aaliyah and queen of the dam when she was that marble statue they sat up straight <laughs> and hanging above the table was all kind of skull and bones and demon metal like Ooh. intertwined hanging hoovering over the the polished conference room table where they try to get me to sell my soul and i read we could put a gag on the order order on your mouth at will we can edit your stories at will translation they're going to whitewash my stuff mm -hmm. we can change we're going to own your name we can change the cover translation you can put a, a white person on my book and say he's the king of erotica and then to my fans they're gonna say he's a plagiarist um you know how to go below they go i'm signing away my rights and then any rights or future rights of future books are right automatically becomes their property and you dummies think i'm gonna sell y'all 90 some books for a million dollars and after taxes i'm not bringing that much effing money home they really thought i was stupid my goodness that you, really you did it all yourself good. already and here they're gonna put your book out probably with fabio sitting on the front on a horse <laughs> yeah and i can't say anything because i got a gag order meaning if i get on social media or i get on ellen i go that book brad pitt on the cover i really wrote that they can sue me for the money they paid me mm. so they go take that advantage they go take that money back because of one time payment they got my rights to my book they own my name and they can call me 21 and hey nigga, get off here we want you to write a book about microchip in the public and we want it written in a week they own me and they thought i was stupid so I, I signed the contract and I got up and I was walking out the door. They were like, okay, you're going to blow up with it's the best decision you made for you. But I'm starting walking to the door quiet. And they were like, but why are you walking away? Because we got your million dollar check right here. And I said, y'all must then read the contract. And when they read the contract, I had wrote fuck off <laughs> on the line and got back on my plane and I cried all the way back home. My soul was destroyed. I said, the devil almost had me because you know most brothers would be turned on by that money and i was on 14 blog talk radio programs for an hour when i turned that money down i was the most sought after independent author on facebook every even radio shows were calling me why did you walk away from a million dollars i wouldn't have walked away from that money i said see that's what they was depending on with me i was gonna be dumb like you you gonna give these white people 90 some books you wrote for a million dollars after taxes you you're not bringing it home 
That's what you, you, you and that million dollars gonna go like that. If you want seventy some of my books, mother effer, y'all better be writing me two hundred and forty million dollars, like them contracts y'all get Jay Z, them three sixty deal. <laughs> when you write that much money, then I sell you my name. I write y'all can have this shit. <laughs> a million a piece. Million dollars, <laughs> but that one million dollars y'all really tried it. Yeah. And Obviously, they they thought it was going to be worth a whole lot more. So you know, yeah, you know that your yeah, writing they, is worth uh, millions. So millions, my ass. I'm sitting on a billion dollar enterprise. Yeah. I'm also sitting on a, a seven book vampire series, the Law of B series, getting ready to drop this year too. In addition to the erotic books, see the world ain't ready for my talent and oh. my vampire my vampire books don't have no cussing in it at all. I need to see the graphic novels. I need to see the movies. I need to see the the audio book. You know, there is so much out there that you can so, option uh, option your stories can I, into. Can I interrupt you for one second? Come up, God, baby, want to say something. I'm sorry. What's up, God, son? Of course, your bathroom right there. You know, that's me. You sit there, dude. It's your house, too. Stop playing with me. But I'm back. I had oh. to take care of me. But, hey, family's good. Family's hey, important, Larry. Now, it's, it's a lot of history. I'm just not a writer who woke up. I'm a writer book. I put in the time. I went through the pain. I went through the the rejection. The rejection. Publisher out the publisher. No, 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 no. You two, this to this, offering me chunk change for my work. No, and I stay independent. And now I'm at the point where, because I like Janet Jackson so much, she owns all her masters. She owns everything now. She yeah. played by her own rules and she independent. I'm going to keep that same energy. The only deal I want is a distribution deal for my books. That's the only contract I will ever sign. Well, and now you can be, do that. You can do that independently. And you have done that. I'm looking at your that. Amazon. I do that now. I was on Amazon in 40 countries. And then, and then real life happened. I got married. You know, my sickness with HIV started flaring up. The, the, like my body was rejecting medicine. I, I was almost evicted at the time. We got in a car accident where me and my husband were supposed to have been dead. It's oh. like the devil attacked us back to back. We lost everything. 2014, I lost everything I worked for, and I was facing a homeless homelessness with a whole spouse out here. Everybody showed their ass. A lot of people turn their back because you ain't got your place no more. You ain't got your car no more. They can't come drink up alcohol at your house. They can't, can't go to South Beach with you in your car. When you lost it all, they went with it. Well, really how did you me. almost lose everything? Was it hospital bills? It was, it was It was. more than that. I lost my job. My husband got and He's a nurse. Nurse, 18 years. He got a severe back injury that oh. took him out of work instantly. Instantly. Oh. And... He had to have surgery on his hand. He was a dish pit after he lost that job to still try to work. The dish machine exploded open and split it and split the tendons in his hand. He had to have hand surgery. They had to put fake ligaments and a couple of screws oh. in his left. The back to back. It was nothing but a domino effect. We was losing everything because I know why now. Because we got it all back five years later, but we went through hell to get it back. I stopped praying. It's like when I got my first place, that Dodge Charger, when I ain't have to walk to work no more and walk down the street from the side, two miles down the road at four in the morning just to get, do US one, just to get to the JGT with them stink smelling, some of them stink smelling Haitians. I'm sorry, they had that bus smelling like spoiled fish. Yes, yes. And I, I got a million people that can back me up. Oh, I know that so, smell, man. I'm, I'm half Cuban. And I, I know the Haitian yeah. smell, man. Lots of food on 8th Street. 
I used to spread a whole bottle of air freshener. Like, let me help y'all out because this is for these girls, and we don't believe in the other. Well, let me buy you some for Christmas and introduce you to Old Spice because it, it, it smells like old rice, and it's not a good thing. Oh, <laughs> oh you're so taking me back to it. Miami, man. I remember those smells. <laughs> yeah, so when we got the Dodge Charger, the apartment, we got married. You know, we were blessed with 3500 bucks. We wanted to get married. We didn't have a dime. Right. All we did was pay. And two weeks later, my husband got a $3,500 check out of nowhere. We still don't know where the check came from. Okay. But we, cashed it, we got married. Everything was good, but we stopped praying. Somewhere along the line, we stopped praying. We, we, and we, that's when we lost it all. When we stopped praying and we got too cocky, you know, talking mess. I got my own place. Y'all live with y'all mama. All that stuff blew up in my face. And I needed to go through that to humble me. I needed to go through that to show you don't come up and make somebody else who don't have it, who was in your position before you got this stuff, make them feel beneath you. I let the book sales go to my head. I let all this stuff go to my head. Went on the modeling contract 2015. My God, baby, won the same thing from the same organization I won the contract through before I did. I was in Tyler Perry, if loving you was wrong. Three weeks later, after I found one. I beat out 3,600 people and I was 38 years old. Look at you. I didn't even want a model. My husband and me in that. We was at Delta Mall. You know them displays in the mall. You were looking for the next model. Fill out a slip of paper, put it in a box, and it may be you. And I had a Dave and Buster's teddy bear in my hand that said Werner on it. And I'm like, I don't want to. I'm like, babe, don't get me in there. He's like, you got what it takes. I believe in you. He's filling out the paper and I'm pissed with his, his big head ass. I'm like, I don't. Don't put me in there. I'm not all that. And I wound up winning the whole damn shebang because my husband believed in me from day one. And guess where they had the competition at the Winter Expo where there was an agent that worked with Tyler Perry, one of the judges, and all of that. And it was at the Dave and Busters. They built the sound stage right on the second floor of Dolphin Mall at Dave and Busters. And remember, when my husband filled out the slip, I had a Dave and Busters teddy bear on my head, hand that said Werner on it when he was filling out the paper. It's <laughs> as if that was like crazy the way God works. He that did, was man. God telling me I wanted before my husband even entered me in it, but it didn't click in my head to when I wanted and looked up and a big old Dave and Buster sign was behind me on the stage. And I'm like, I'll be damned. And I thought about that teddy bear less than a year before that competition in my hand when my husband filled out that paper and I begged him not to put me in that damn competition. <laughs> and I, I wanted to meet Tyler Perry three weeks later at Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. Three weeks later, then I was picked for Alvin and the Chickmunks road trip as an extra three days before the Tyler Perry thing. And it's funny with Tyler Perry yeah, and how you know some of your destiny. I found out about the trials after Alvin and the Chickmunks wrapped. I did my scene. It took about eight hours of doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And over. <laughs> you know, I said making movies is fucking boring. It, I've been told. I've been told. Yeah, like I don't like it. Like this is this is what we're this is why we're spending all that money. This shit's boring. It's a breeze. Remember your line? I ain't even had no lines. I just walk through like an alley. Hey, and I go sit down. Done. So I'm going home, and my homeboy hit me up. You say Tyler Perry is casting. But I don't have no car because I was visiting Atlanta. I was there for a week just to do the um, Alvin and Chickmunk come back home. Tyler Perry came out of nowhere. So we rushing to get to Tyler Perry because we got to be there by 5 p.m. at this old building church someplace we had to meet at where they were doing the casting. Uh -huh. When we got there, it's like a good 
maybe two, three thousand people already. Oh. They're like eight long ass lines. I said, Oh hell oh, no. You already know Tyler Perry's in the town. <laughs> but my homeboy wouldn't let me leave his name Ron Tate. Shout out to Ron Tate. Miss you boy. He was an extra with me. So he's like, You ain't going nowhere. We got on our suits. We looking fresh. We finna get it. So we get up in the line and five minutes later, this old ugly looking white lady come up. Okay, everybody. The the casting is over. Thank you for coming. And everybody's like a thousand some people plus like, oh hell no. I've been here since twelve afternoon. Oh hell no. Thank you, lady. She was but about to get bum rushed. <laughs> And we finna leave, but my homeboy took my hand. He said, Larry, I know this is a couple of people still standing at the tables, but everybody leaving. He said, don't you realize God clearing the lines for a Come on, dog. Fuck that lady. Let's go. We went up to the table anyway. Yeah. And the lady said, excuse me, sir. You must have heard the casting lady say, yo, the tall one with the Nike, the, 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 the suit, the Nike tie. Come here. I said, oh, this lady calling me. So I guess I'm not going outside. And my boy's with me. Come on, Ron. And he's like, you're going to get eyes, throw that. So we went to the table. She literally said, give me your casting card. And I had my professional resume stapled on the back. My sexy, sexy, creamy self on the cover. She, <laughs> said, how would, she said, how would you like to be a police officer in, if loving you is wrong? Just like that. And I said, but what about my bra? I lied. I said, we've been here since 12 noon. We got there at 4.30. And uh, uh, she said, well, how would you like to be a doctor in a hospital scene on his love of yours? Well, she picked me and my boy. Yes. Just like that. And the next day, I'm on the set of Tyler Perry Studios, chaining to the, the uniform. I still got the pictures. I'll send them to you later. <laughs> and when we got on the set, we had to turn over our cell phones. We couldn't have our cell phones. We had to give it to the production manager. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing the lights, and I'm seeing the set of a loving yours wrong. I said, this it? A cardboard damn box looking like a restaurant? <laughs> And I'm walking down this old hallway with wood, and you can see the lights hanging and the boom light people and the sound of wires and the sound people in the background. I'm like, this ain't shit. On TV, it looked like it is. Right. But you got a corner. Then you you walk in front of the lot. It looked like some fake houses and fake town centers. I'm like, it was so nice to see. And then Tyler Perry pops up. Nope. And I get real quiet because we the same damn height. Uh, they say he's 6'6", but I'm 6'5". Uh-huh. And when he walked we in the line with the police uniforms on, he walking up very regularly. I'm looking at his ass. He's looking at me. And I'm it's so hungry, looking at me. But hey, I'm saying it in my head, though. I want to have a groupie moment, but I'm in professional mode. I'm like, right. he's looking at me. He know I'm alive. <laughs> then his eyes move. He's looking at everybody. So next thing I know, 10 minutes later, the production manager comes right up to me. He said, you. I said, what the hell did I do? Everybody bust out loud. <laughs> Mr. Tyler Perry wants you to, with your police uniform, with your walkie-talkie, to walk through. So as I think it's season two, episode one, or one on, I'm going to find out what it is. Soon as the show come on, you see my big head ass in a police <laughs> uniform, walking past the detective dude in his little jacket and his suit, talking to the And then when the other cop is in the office stealing the information on Eddie, that evil cop, trying to friend, the one who Eddie cut his hand off, he was uh-huh. in a the police office trying to steal information out the computer, and they had me walking past the door when he's stealing. It's on the show, like you can see my head, my face, my body. I said, "What the hell I didn't have to talk because that was enough for me. Oh, now I got to see that series. When <laughs> a modeling contract in a show I didn't even want to be in, my husband believed in me, and then less than a few weeks later, I'm on the set with Tyler Perry. 
Uh, sounds like you got a good da- good man there backing you up. That's good. That's right. So when I blew up, he better remember my face. But he still ain't paid me my $64 this union crap, but they play you a rate of $64 to be an extra, which I thought was a ripoff. I still ain't got my money. to Mr. Tyler Perry. I still ain't got my $64 check yet. <laughs> And I want all my all my money because I got my light bill is due. Then go it's eighty dollars now. Only owe twenty more when you see me my sixty four dollars, and I want it. Get that get that man his money, money, Mr. Tyler Perry. <laughs> I ain't got paid yet. And this is what two thousand fifteen. It's two thousand twenty twenty. Oh man, Larry Wilson, I'm I'm having a good time talking to you. I, I, oh, I know we got a lot of avenues to explore. I mean, you are so many people. You're so many things. I I mean how. What do you what do you want to promote? Mostly the books right now. What how, how are you how are you making your revenue, making your living? This is what I want to promote. I make my revenue working too. Uh, so I'm a professional chef, and I love it. Writing is not what defines me. I define me. I'm so multifaceted in different areas. I just danced in the Orange Bowl halftime show with multi platinum artist Gavin DeGraw during the I think it was the uh, Gators in Virginia this year, December 30th of last year that just passed. Yeah. I was on ESPN with a dance troupe and then Silver Michael Jackson Sweater on live TV doing a full routine that took me damn near 30 hours and two days to learn <laughs> before the show. I got, I'm going to send you the pictures of that too. Oh my so God. I'll promote one thing. I want to promote myself. This, I haven't released a book in four years because life happened. Right. Now that I lost everything five years ago, five years later, like Job in the Bible, God has given it back times 10, better than what we had before. Because no matter how bad it looked, we kept our prayers going on. We're married. We're going on 13 years together, together seven years legally married. Eight Mazel full, seven Get it. Coming up. And it's like no matter what we went through, the homelessness, sleeping on the street, I'm working at Dave and Buster's. I'm getting out work at midnight. The first bus don't run to six in the morning. I'm doing this five days a week, three months to save for my Hyundai Santa Fe that's sitting outside in the parking lot right <laughs> now to show you. So I want to promote me. This is me coming back after a four-year hiatus. Yeah. I'm coming back with a book. And the little short, bald-head little thing, that's my sister that's here with my godson, inspired the book. Her name is Ta- <laughs> Natasha Prince. But in the book, she's Tasha some more. There's an update. She is the type on Facebook she gonna talk shit. Her little four foot one inch ass, so tiny, but this little bitch is full of fire. She's talking about four eleven, but she's shorter. She's shorter than that. <laughs> Long story short, if you read her updates, it's gonna make you sweat. It's gonna make you call the pastor, the preacher. She gonna tell them to go f they self too. But long story short, it's a status update that I read by her and her father, not to bring it up. Hmm. Her father had just got killed, murdered. Oh, bless. And my dad gone. My husband's father is gone. So I relate to that. And I remember her pain. And I took that status and I wanted to write a book, which I've never done for nobody, to kind of be like my love letter to her to kind of soften her loss, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, to kind of... Let her mind escape that by writing a book that was inspired by her update. Because this girl, you um, if I give you her name, you go to her page, you probably can interview her. She is crazy. Oh. <laughs> She's an amazing author herself and don't realize it. I'd be happy and to hear her story. <laughs> oh, yeah, she has a hell of a one. And why she made me her son's godfather with my past is a lot. But long story short, I took one of her updates and I crafted a whole book. It's called Diary of a Ballhead Bitch. Uh. 
And it's three books in the series. It's done. It's completed. And that's what I want to promote. It's coming out. I don't want to give it no release date yet. I don't right. have to put pressure on myself. It's done. It's completed. Right. But I'm a perfectionist. I don't just write my book. I book format it. I do the fonts. I do the editing. I do the copy editing. I do the marketing. I do the photography of my husband. I do the vision. I do the synopsis. I do the everything that comes with my book. I do it. I stay up all freaking night off an eight-hour job, two yeah. of them. And you no, also self-publish, right? And I stay up half the night writing after I don't work on these white people job for uh, four, 14 hours out of my day between both. I get off at two at midnight, take me a shower. Now it's time. It ain't, it ain't rest time. It's time to write. It's time to invest in my business, not my books. So I'm staying up to four or five a.m. editing, writing, rewriting. And then I go to sleep at six. I get a couple hours sleep, maybe four hours sleep. I get up and go to work. I do it five days a week. I got Tuesday and Wednesday off. That's my rest time. But I don't rest. I'm writing. Yeah. I, I have to put in the same amount of energy I put into these white people job. I got to put into myself. Yeah, and, because eventually but you I want to be my own boss. You still haven't signed with anybody, right? You're still self-publishing. How does that work? I'm still independent. I have a distributor, Lightning Source, and they don't just take anybody. And I started at Lulu, where even the crackheads can publish a book. <laughs> I did. I did see something about Lulu in there. What is Lulu, that? Lulu, you can publish any book you want, and you go pay like thirty dollars for a paperback copy or a highway ripoff. And I started with them. That's how I got my start. Right. And how I found out by Lightning Source, my book started selling, and Lulu was making a killing off of me, mm. and a killing. And I remember this lady, this professional lady, did my book cover. One of them websites where they do book covers i hit it up and she read my book and loved it she said the king of erotica oh my god she was like i know i'm a white woman no offense but who you had me with oh my god your, your your mind is is so dirty but it's so masterful she yeah. said why are you why are you going with lulu i said because uh, i don't need no publisher to to tell me what i can and can't write was to this to that she said baby cut out the middle man i said what the hell are you talking about she said, can I have your phone number? I say, sure. This is God showing me how, how the universe, when you speak something and like attracts light and you speak it, God will bring everything and everybody in every avenue that leads to what you spoke, go guide you to it unknowingly. You go find these people and it's going to be suddenly. You ain't going to know it there, know it coming. It's going to get you to where you're going. She was that person. And she said, Lulu uses lightning source another distributor so what they do they pay lightning stores to publish the amount of books you want you're huh. paying for that then they charge an extra six dollars on top of that that's how they get their profit and then you only get two dollars out of the whole pie so lightning stores get the big chunk of the pie Lulu get the next big chunk of the pie and i get two mother effing percent and i'm the bitch they stayed up all effing night writing my stuff and when that white lady told me that i said are you kidding me she said so why not write lightning stores directly uh-huh set up an account I'll refer you to where you could be your own publisher, get your own ISBN registration through brokers, all through your name, all in your name. It all belongs to you. Another, this white lady. Another little this angel on your corner. So, so I went to Lightning Source. Mm -hmm. Remember, so they got they, they got with me quickly. 
And next thing I know, my book's on sale in 30 countries on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's on the pop-ups. I was at the library one day. This girl was on the computer, and a pop-up with my autobiography just popped up in the face. I said, yeah. She said, what the fuck wrong with you? I said, that's me. That's me. She said, you know this guy that ain't in the public library. We got an author. Oh, my God. And everybody looking around the computer. Oh, my God. That's him. Oh, my God. the pop-up. Oh, cry like Beyonce on screen. Oh, but it was just nice to see a pop-up. With your book, and it say Barnes and Noble on top, and an advertisement that I didn't pay for. All thanks to this distributor when I cut Lulu, the middleman, out of the picture. I could see how you so, get all excited. That's your baby out there. You birthed yeah, that thing. Not only that, not only that, I could price my books myself to where Lulu ain't getting a big chunk, and they ain't getting a big piece. Of, guess who get the big piece of the pie? Me. All the distributor get is the cost of printing of the book, which for me is like three some dollars per book. I sell my books twenty books for seventeen ninety five. Right. I got fourteen ninety five profit. All they got is three dollars to print each book. If you get what I'm saying, and I order it myself. It's online. I could order them in bulk. Let's say if I want a hundred books, I'm paying three hundred and some dollars for a hundred books with three hundred some pages or more that I'm selling myself professionally. They order through Lulu. Um, Lightning sources fulfilling the orders with no extra charge to me. All because I cut Lulu, the middleman, at the picture. So this is how I sell my books. So when they buy my books, they go directly to my bank account quarterly. You get a quarterly report. What what title sold, how many, what region, how many this, that. If you want to have it available internationally, you su- you select the international option. Now it's in Germany, it's in France, it's in Czechoslovakia, it's in China. It's not in that language, it's in the English language, but it was selling in those countries when word of mouth on Facebook through my life and the interviews. I did over, I think in my career, in the past 15 years, I did over 490 different blog talk radio programs including this one right here Excellent. a blogger that found me well a lot of times in those countries they want to learn english and what better way to learn english by than by reading your book and there's some freaks in the world i find out <laughs> i mean the, the desanctified and holy people that walk around telling the bibles are the biggest freaks in the world i might agree it was number one in 40 different church book clubs and this is erotica with cursing it's number one i'm like are you kidding me now i got church people want to have you know how they have the little book club music <laughs> <laughs> Today's book club is, like, is the king. These fans of mine and they reading your book together and want you to read it. And I'm very hands on because I'm independent. I go to their home in their living room with the candles and the wine with eight, nine, ten women and men all with my book, and we're reading it together and we're talking about it. <laughs> I don't think for myself it really sunk in. All of this, and it explains why I went through what I went through. The devil tried to destroy me early. Oh. Even you know, from false rumors, false allegations, you name it, it's been done to me. And no matter how much it hurt, I never stopped praying. I kept moving. Sometimes I had to keep crawling or crawl before I walk again. But I always kept moving, no matter how much it hurt, no matter what a bitch said, no matter what my mammy said, no matter if they can accept my sexuality or not. I basically said, fuck the world. Got thrown out my mama house. I was homeless for eight months, and I loved it because I got me a gym membership. 
24 hour when Shaq was on the Heat team and they built the Shaq gym and they turned into 24 hour fitness. They were 24 hour. Hey, got me a job and a gym membership. Had me a shower. Yeah, I'm homeless, but I had me a haircut, a shower, clean clothes. I washed my clothes in the shower at the damn gym. Yeah. Then I went to the wash house when I got paid and washed my clothes. So I was never dirty. Homeboy was homeless, but homeboy was classy and homeboy was flawless. A bitch didn't know I was homeless. Only I knew. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. My goodness. (laughs) Ah, so are you still making? uh, You still making revenue from the Amazon sales? I could put that link up. No, because when I went through life, I took all that stuff down. And the reason why I took it down is because it went from the love of writing to I don't want to have to turn on my religion and my principles. And say I'm my own God. I made it to this point in my career on my own. I'm not finna. I should say I'm gonna hold on to my principles. I love my family too much. I love me too much to let to. I don't want to have to sell my soul to get to the next level. Well, that's it not how I want to do it. And it just seems like that's the way of the entertainment industry across the whole spectrum. It's like people are doing unnatural things. And like what, like Denzel Washington just said in the interview, they're 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 not concerned with the truth with yeah. the artists. They want to create an image and push that in your face as the truth. A lot of these marriages are arranged business deals, like Benifer, Ben Affleck. Remember the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez business arrangement? Mm. Once the movie deals are dries up, they split up, they move on. I don't want to be turned into none of that with my art. I don't, I don't want to have to get cocky with it, get on TV, get on Ellen. Hey, you know, win an award, NAACP, and I speak that. You know, book of the year, and I get up there in front of the mic. I want to thank my publisher. I want to thank my agent. You thank everybody but who gave it to you, the Lord. Mm. And it's not really many people doing that anymore if you're really paying attention. They thanking everything and every man. You got a handful of people that do, but you got to ask them what God are they thanking. Because, <laughs> you know, people have different forms of it. But they don't do that anymore. Like Whitney Houston and back in the day, I thank you, Jesus. Like Janet, I thank you, God. Like Michael, I want to thank my Heavenly Father. They don't do that anymore in a millennial age of music. Now they want they thank everybody but that. And that's scary to a person like me and reminds me why I'm independent. Janet says she'll never sign another record deal because she's independent. Her name sells her stuff. She owns her masters. She has her own record label and her new album Black Diamond coming in on her own label. That what keeps me independent. Well, to I know that it, a, a, it can be done. It's just a lot of work. You got to spend money to make money. You got to pay for your own marketing, mm-hmm. photography. That's why I do it myself. So I ain't got to pay another mother if I could pay myself. Well, I noticed a lot of the artists are re-recording their music so they can own their own masters, uh, so they can exactly. cut out the the distributors and the and the record exactly. labels. Exactly. So the thing with independency, with me, I own my masters and my publishing and my manuscript all for real. Okay, so it looks like Amazon is still selling your book, and you're not getting a penny off of that. No, they, 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 that's what they call secondhand. What they call secondhand sale, that's people that bought my book and turn around and sell it for that price. So it's like through second secondhand sellers, that kind of stuff. I had no control over that, but I really don't care because they already paid for I already got my money from them. Yeah, there's, that's no different. Some that's of that no stuff is, from me. they're that's trying no to get five and $800 out of that, so... Uh, <laughs> You know. Some of them have, and I'm flattered. It's telling me I'm worth more than I thought. Hey, it's not. I'm not losing no money. It's like if Janet Jackson signed my vinyl record, 
I bought this vinyl record for twenty dollars. Janet, can you sign? She signed, and I go on eBay and I sell this record for five hundred dollars. She can't sue me because I exchange money for a good. Your record it becomes my property. It becomes mine. You signed it. I can sell it if I want to. Right. That's what they did with my books. So, Some of them books I've signed, I've autographed. It's out of print right now because they're not available. So the price went up on it, okay. and it flattered me. It really flatters me that, damn, somebody's selling my book for $800? Damn. So Larry <laughs> Wilson Jr., DeFaro69, how do people get a hold of your books? How, how would you like them to contact you? Directly through me. I'm doing it in ebook form right now. Where? Um, just the, I can give uh, my, my web, not website, because I don't have a website. They just so untraditional you can hit me up by email or through my social media okay and where, where? Is, uh, jabril wilson with a j um instagram sexy one 305 which my husband runs for me because you know i'm doing so many things he runs it for me but i tell him what i want on there and stuff like that or they can hit my email the pharaoh underscore 69 at yahoo.com and, and hit me up that way. They will be available paper book, paperback form, all of them again. Well, within the next couple months, now that I'm back on my feet, now that I'm back where I was five years ago. But it's baby steps. I want to take my time. That's why I say I'm not giving this book no release date, so it ain't no pressure. So I'm looking to have it out by the summer. Though. So it'll be by the summer. It'll be out. It'll be packaged. It'll, you know, new photo shoot. I got long hair now, so I don't have a long brush cut no more. I don't lost 45 pounds, so I haven't seen my V-shape since I was 24. And I'm looking <laughs> at it right now because that beer belly is gone, the sexy man back. And I got everything that fell into place. So that's how you can reach me. And I can sell you the ebook that way, like that, until they're physically available again. So they can still get their hand on my work where I, I'm still in control of how it's released and how it's distributed. Okay. So I, I'm seeing your Jabrell Wilson. I had added your your uh, uh, Larry Wilson page, but I see your Jabrell Wilson, you and your husband yeah, I there. I been on Larry Wilson. Ooh. I ain't been on that one in over 10. Well, probably. I, ooh. <laughs> and, and I can't add that. that. I, yeah, yeah but, I can't add you on the uh, – on the uh, Jabril Wilson yeah. one, uh, and I yeah, see, you know, it's my husband, my it, husband runs that one too. Cause I be, I'm always working. He's like my secretary. He's not my photographer. He did my eight of my book covers that are award winning books now. So his photography is now award winning, you know. So he's up there with. I'm proud of him. In addition to being a registered nurse, um, <laughs> so you can reach me, reach me through that. I respond back, or okay. he'll. Send me something. I always ask people back or whatever they need. So you can get the books through me through that. Well, good. All right. Well, I'll definitely put that link in the in the show notes to make sure that people know. But just so you know, that Jabril Wilson page, it looks like it's a private page. I can't. I, there's no place to add. All I can do no, is message you. The reason why it's that way is because I got 5,000 friends already. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know why. It's like, I look there like, how the, I'm barely on here. Come on, it's at work. How the hell I get 5,000 friends? Well, that's all right. I have your I have your uh, award-winning author, DeFaro69. That's that page they can add as many people as they hey, want. Millions. Can, still a, can you still send me a message on Messenger through Facebook and I have my husband check that way we can keep in contact with, or I give you my, you have my phone number. Yes. So you have different ways you can reach me outside of the social media world. Absolutely. A lot, of people, a lot of people wish they had my number. Sorry, you can't have them. <laughs> but you have it. 
You have it at the touch of your fingertips. No, absolutely. I just wanted to make sure that the people could could get a hold of your books. And I mean, shoot, you're a dancer, uh, and and you already sang to me, uh, sending little chills up my spine there. So uh, I appreciate the the little singing that you did for me. And then, I can't uh, sing with the damn. So I thank you. I think. <laughs> well, you sang a little a little Jackie Wilson for me a little earlier, so that was nice. <laughs> Sam Cook. Sam Cook. Cool. That's right. It's you cool send me. me you send me. Yes. Yeah, it's cool for me because just thinking about what I've been through, just hearing me say it out loud, just the whole struggle, <laughs> it lets me know how strong I really am. And I get that strength from my mother, and I get that strength from my spouse. This man has been through up and down my lowest, my highest, when I had it, when I didn't have it, when I was had money and I was broke, where I couldn't afford a soda, my babe never left my side. Most women would have left me by now. You ain't got no job. You <laughs> three thousand a month. Uh, uh-uh, bitch, you can't afford me. But him, I'm his first everything. He he was never been in a relationship when we met. I was a hoe, super hoe, super thought. However you want to say it, Sean, foot dragon. I was like Smokey Robinson said, "You better shop around." And baby, I bought the whole damn plaza. <laughs> <laughs> I lived my life, but to meet someone like him, I was broken. I was bitter. I just wound up with HIV. I didn't know how to accept it. Oh. I thought about suicide. This man came into my life and I prayed to God. I said, I don't care who he is. I don't care if it's a woman or a man. I'm tired of being hurt. Right. I'm tired of being used to this trophy. I want this person to be made be made just for me. And two weeks later, this guy hit me up online. This heaven said guy who is not even my type. <laughs> He wasn't even my type. The nice body is my type, but the nice body is what got me HIV. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't blinded by the abs anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a, am I going to open myself up to do something outside the norm? They the big guy and see how it is. And I wound up loving him more than anything in this world. Yeah. This man has been by my side and I'm his first everything. He would not, no matter how bad it looked, he would not leave me. He had places to go. He would not go if I couldn't come. He didn't care if it was his mama or whoever. If my husband can't come, I'm not coming. And he would stay with me no matter what. He would sleep out there when I was waiting for that first bus to run at Dave and Buster's from midnight to 6 in the morning. <coughs> he was yeah, that bus terminal with me in the pitch dark with the ball club. We land on pillows, being ate up by mosquitoes. Got to use the bathroom. There's no toilet nowhere. This man was by my side through it all, and he's still there. And the magical part about it is when he pulled up in the driveway in the turquoise van <laughs> all 13 years ago. Yeah. And I looked into his eyes two weeks after I said that prayer. Something told me, meet your husband. And he already had my last name. What? Oh, because I noticed it said John Wilson. He was, he's, in the, he's a different set of Wilsons. We're not related. My dad from California, they've never been. My grandfather verified that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suspected he, not, okay? He, he already had my last name, Wilson. And I looked at God. You got a sense of humor. People saying... <laughs> Two guys together is wrong, but I prayed for this. And two weeks later, God sent me a person that was pure of heart, never been touched, never even been kissed. This is who God sent in my life. And almost 13 years later, he's still 
there. You do anything, he's a very quiet, gentle soul. He baked cakes from scratch. He's very much. He sings his ass off. He loved taking care of people 18 years as a nurse. He's very multifaceted, but you touch a hair on my head. He don't deal with people. He don't go around people. I'm there in the street party. He the in the room, you two watching old Whitney Houston videos, watching the, the LGBT <laughs> shows like Triangle and Free Fall and Real Eyes, Real Life, stuff like that online. I'm not into those shows because it's I was into Free Fall, but a lot of these LGBT however you say the every letter alphabet and I heard they added <laughs> two and a half. I know they added a bunch. I can't keep up. I'm gay saying how many how many letters y'all gonna put in the alphabet? <laughs> the LGBT and the latest thing and it's LGBTQI and I said no it's LGBTQ kiss my ass. I'm not saying all those <laughs> I'm not gonna let a, a group. I, of I'm glad you're as frustrated as I am, man. I, I'm all for everybody equal. That's fine. I don't need no group of letters telling me how to act. And, and like, what was the LGBT when I was being abused? What was the right. LGBT when that prostitute tried to sell me coochie for seven dollars when I was seven years old? Right. So what were the LGBTQIASTUVWXYCCYY to the second square of five? What was that shit at then? I don't like. The labels. I get it. I don't like labels. I don't need no. I appreciate the LGBTQISTUV help people, but I can help myself. I've been helping myself since before the internet came along, and I knew there was a LGBTQISTUV <laughs> RSVP Tennessee White. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think we're going to end this on a high note. Let's take it home, man. Uh, <laughs> I've had a good time talking to you. Uh, usually I, I end up with, uh, you know, just letting you have some last words for the people. And, uh, you know, if, if, if when this book comes out in the future, I, I hope we talk again and you can promote you it. You get a copy out before I put it out. It's going to be one, a promotional copy. I have a couple out now. Yeah. A couple copies out, but what they don't understand is when I release it, it won't be what y'all have. I split the first book. It was like 400-some pages. I split it into two books. So now there's book one and book two. That's and I did so much stuff to both of them. So the version that's out promotional-wise now that everybody, oh, I got diary about her, bitch. I'll for sure be all reading it now. <laughs> I said, hey, the book's all bubble, but that's not the official version. <laughs> split into two, and everything you done read, I done changed it all. Oh, out. don't be like that. It's still valuable. I gotta be like that. You can't, you know, put out a product and people don't read it already. I did it to create buzz again because yes. I had them published for four years. But my plan, I split it into two and added so much more to it. Especially <laughs> with my, my sister sitting in front of me, this crazy lady. Hell, I'll, be, I'll be on Facebook like that, but I'll be on break at work and read what else that is. And I swear I scream, ah! That loud. Everybody looking like this bitch is crazy. Inspirational. Whoever called me and my baby. Oh, just know I take care of my home. My taking my baby eat good every night. She one of them people. <laughs> she one of them. And this inspired Tasha some more in Diary of a I kept that same energy she had. So what I want to leave is this. Yes. Two things. One, he who does not cultivate his field will die hunger. That's a Guinean proverb. This is what I live by, and this is the source of my writing. When I when I when I when I looked at um, when I crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person now that I'm free. Harriet Tubman, who was a nurse and also a spy for the government. She was bigger than the Underground Railroad. That's the 
what I live by. And in complete darkness, we're all the same. It is only our knowledge and wisdom that separates us. Don't let your eyes deceive you. The closing of the Rhythm Nation album that I remember 30 years later with the bells in the background with Janet Jackson. Those three quotes shaped my writing. So write to express yourself. When you write to impress people, you go fall flat on your damn face. And readers are so avid, they can read something and know you're just saying something for shock value. Know you're just saying this to impress. Me, my model has always been our right to stimulate and educate. I don't give a damn who like what I write. I don't give a damn about none of you saying this to this, to that. You can two kiss my ass. That's not why I write. What did you get from it? I understand the book is erotica. So this lady, I remember she's saying, how can you be the king of erotica and you're gay? I said, okay. How are you sanctified and holy? Your coochie got blown out since the ninth grade and God said, wait to marriage. I re that's how I always get my reaction. Because you're not going to come at me about my writing and about my art because I'm sensitive about my shit and my Erica Badu voice. I am the king of a rose because I said I am. I've been doing this for 34 years since I knew I was the king of anything. I put in the time. I have the experience. I've been to jail. I've been out. I done lived a very tough life, but I still had a good life. My mother always made sure I was taken care of. My mother never abused me, maybe verbally, because she had to raise four boys and a girl on her own without our fathers. Do you know how difficult that is? And successfully get us all out of high school on time with that stitching cord as her rod and her shaft. She did not spare the rod. And I thank God. I thank God he sent me a mama who did not let me do what the hell I wanted to do. You want to run away? I said, yeah, ma. Okay, they're going to front door run away. The minute my head touched the door, now she told my little ass up. Call. I dare you to call the police. I'm glad I had a mama like that. She said, because don't white people don't care about you how I care about my children. Y'all daddy's not here. They sorry as hell. I got to raise four boys. Y'all my children, my problem. I'm going to take care of y'all on my own with no man. And she did that with a 30-year federal corrections officer career. She was tired, retiring again, a nice pension, and I'm proud of her. So I leave you with this. Be who you are. Don't let nobody edit you. And I'm glad my godson is here to witness this interview, to see his godfather is making a difference in this world. And maybe in my nieces and nephews, maybe that'll inspire them to be great, that his godfather went through all of this stuff and still turn his life through books into something beautiful. So write like you mean it and write what you think. And that's what I leave y'all with tonight. Be who you are. Express yourself and don't impress nobody. They like what they like. They go like it. They not go like it. Focus on those that are for you, those that your story touches. You're going to have haters. You're going to have that no matter where you go. When people talk about you, that's not your business. Let people talk. They talked about Yahshua, who is referred to as Jesus, even though the J didn't exist back then. I call him Yahshua. Long story short, that's what I'm going to leave y'all with tonight. I'm glad. Thank you for the opportunity. This is the first interview I did in four years on my way back to where I left off. I thank you for thinking of me, considering me. I thank you for your time. I thank you for giving me the platform to put a form of my testimony out there. And as a thank you, I want you to text me an address and I'm going to send you 
within the next week or two, I'm going to send you the kingdom, my 740-page autobiography that I was nominated for so many awards for, and you can get a better scope of what I tell you. Because I'm going to tell you now, you're not going to put that book down. And people haven't looked at me the same since they read it. They look at me and tell me because of you. I called my brother after so many years because he's bisexual, because his sexuality, because of my testimony. And I'm not, I don't fit what they call, you know, gay. I'm straight acting. I'm masculine in every way. I'm vicious. I love women and all. They don't know how to take me in my book. Allow a person opening mind. Okay, I talked to my brother after ten years and found out he went through this as a kid, and I had no idea. And I'm not saying those that are abused are led to that because there are some people that wasn't abused and still turned out to be of that sexuality. I would never know because their choice was forced and took from me. I don't know if I wasn't going through that if I was still turned out this way because their choice was taken from me. And I'm going to send you that book so you can read a visual. I got pictures. It's very well. It's a feature presentation. It's not a book. All my books are feature presentations. I put my soul in every last one of them. They're like my children. I can't pick one over the other. I'm not going to say my next book, my best book. They're all the effing best because I wrote them. And I'm going to send you the autobiography so you can see for yourself what I've gone through, you'll get a better understanding outside of this phone interview of me as a person. There you have it, party people. DaFaro69, the king of erotica, amongst other things. A man's had a life, a life of ups and downs, hardships, good times, and on through it all, he's become a creator. You know, through pain comes creativity. Through life experience comes creativity. And that's what uh, Larry Wilson Jr., uh, DaFaro69, has come through it all. And I'm so happy that I had a chance to talk to him. And I'm so happy that you had a chance to listen to a bit of his story. And when that new book comes out, I think I'm going to give a, another talk to him, make sure that he, he gets some good promotion and and uh, and make sure that, hey, I'll do whatever I can to, to help him, you know, get those sales up and uh, keep his life going. It looks like he's got a good family life, uh, you know, very family oriented. I'm kind of excited that his family was uh going in and out of the house so uh we got a little little bit of their voices on the on the podcast as well so that was pretty cool a little bonus so thank you so much uh larry wilson da faro 69 i love that da faro 69 that is your nom de plume your your uh writing <laughs> name that's great well that's it for this edition of what makes you famous if you if you want to tell your story i encourage you to give me a call at 501-470-6386 or email info at radio what.com that's it for me it's keys dan radio what.com dj little rock.com peace i'm out of here be on radio what's call 501-470-6386 say your name where you're from and you're listening to what? The music you want is on RadioWhat.com. If you like what you hear, follow What Makes You Famous social media. Use the hashtag What Makes You Famous. Follow on Facebook at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Instagram at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Twitter at Makes Famous. And follow on YouTube at Keys Dan. 
Leave What Makes You Famous podcast a review and subscribe. Listen to What Makes You Famous podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Tell your story on my podcast, What Makes You Famous. Call 501-470-6386 and leave a message to set up a time. You can support What Makes You Famous using the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash keysdan. Email info at radiowhat.com. What Makes You Famous podcast is a production of Keysdan Enterprises Incorporated at keysdan.com. Thank you for listening. Radio What, the music you want with some great, great quotes. If you believe everything you read, you better not read. Japanese proverb. The music you want. RadioWhat.com. Radio